Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast, Say. I'm your host, Jana Ali. My next guest is someone that I had the pleasure of getting to know over the last five years now. From spending countless hours together designing and picking each other's brains, he is one of the most talented creatives I've ever met with a raw sense of vulnerability in everything he creates. He breaks boundaries and sets new levels of achievement with everything he does. From Morocco to London and London to Milan, he is expanding his knowledge and will do whatever it takes to achieve his dreams. My next guest is Ismail Laraki. Hi, Ismail. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm very good. How about you? I'm good. I feel like that was a really hefty intro. So if there's anything you'd like to introduce yourself with, go ahead. What do you do? Who are you? No, I, I think you've done the job perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, we kind of, we met in university, um, London College of Fashion, and we were doing the same course, accessories design. And that's it really. I mean, yeah. It- I mean, we weren't so close until like the second year. Yeah. And then, we, yeah, we kind of met. Blossomed. We met in the first year, but it was like we weren't in the same classes or anything like that. So it wasn't like too close. Like yeah. we didn't get to know each other that well until second year onwards. And then we were inseparable. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, um, how is everything in Milan right now? Because you're in Milan, right? Yes, um, I'm actually still in Milan at the moment, finishing my master's degree. And as of yesterday, we have entered a second lockdown. Okay, yes. Yeah, so so that's what the situation is right now. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is it for a month like us, or is it? Um, so basically, the way it works here is that they've set it up for the next month. But it might get reevaluated in two weeks. So um, it's um, they have a um, red light system, and basically you can like each each um, region can be either green, yellow, orange, or red. We're in the red zone in Milan, uh, which is like the worst um, of them, meaning that we can't really go out do much or anything. But then in two weeks we can move either to another zone or stay into um, red and then like the other zones are a little bit more um, open and um, there's more lenience into what you can do and everything okay so ours is a bit different because we had they introduced like a, a free tier system and then they were kind of just like oh england's getting really bad mm. so like forget the free tier system we're just going to put you in a month-long lockdown which is basically the same as it was before but schools and stuff like that are open yeah so it's kind of strange like a lot of people are like oh it's yeah. not gonna work because every all these little kids are still going to school and but we'll see um so you're yeah. studying from home now then so you... i mean it is very strange yeah 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 i'm studying from home as of uh, yesterday i've been just on the zoom app and the computer <laughs> Uh, are you finding uh, any challenges trying to create at home? Because obviously what you do is like very, it's very, uh, how would you say? Well, it, it kind of demands like a lot of space, really, especially like when you're pattern cutting and trying to create freely. So like does like designing from the home kind of hinder that? Um, I think that there's, for me, 
Okay, so basically for me, the way it was is that in the first lockdown, there was so much energy spent trying to work out a system to actually work towards um, doing patterns and like working around the house and like, which was kind of hectic because I'm not really used to working around the house. I used, like most of the time I spend it in university between like something between six to 10 hours just doing the work there and then I go home and that's my space. But then the hardest part was um, facing the fact that your own space which is home also becomes your workspace. And it's a 24 seven of, um, it, it basically kind of drives you a little bit crazy that like this, the same space that you supposed to be free in, you also have to work in. But I think that over time and facing this new lockdown, I'm more into organizing my time wisely and knowing that, for example, the morning is set to do this and that, whereas my evening is for me to be completely in control of my personal time right yeah and is it like hard not being able to like have your tutors and mentors like at your disposal at any time um I would say yes in a technical way like it's hard to for example get down to the bottom of what have I done wrong in a pattern what have I done wrong stitching something when I can't really show it to a tutor in real life and they can't really um, get to fix anything hands-on. Um, but on another level, I feel like this year more than ever, I had tutors that really stuck up for me and like um, have kind of offered like an extra helping hand. Um, they would actually set up personal Zoom meetings and um, basically help you out with anything you need help with. So just so that um, the people listening know, so in London you did... Um the cord wainers accessories design and now you're in milan last year you were doing was it a foundation year kind of it was kind of a foundation year yes because um i'm doing the masters now in women's wear okay and last year was kind of a skill conversion year where um i was able to transfer the skills that i've learned prior into actually women's wear skills. And so it was basically just learning the basic patterns of women's wear and um, the nine head illustration, which we never did in London. Yeah. Um, so it, it, was, it was like a very interesting um, course actually. Yeah, I remember when I was in fashion college in FRA, we did the nine heads illustration, but I could never do it. Like I, in, I never was able to do it. Like all my heads came out a different size. And then <laughs> when it came to draw, like drawing the body, I was like, this isn't helping me whatsoever. But yeah. I know a lot of people that they, they, it did work for them. So perhaps it was just a me problem. Um, so how is... You're, you're not alone. You're not alone. Okay, good. good. <laughs> Um, yeah, how has this whole COVID thing kind of like affected your grades? Do you feel like it's it's kind of dampened them or has it not really changed? I mean, I have to say that I found myself uh, in a situation where grades really didn't matter anymore. Oh, nice. Because um, like there was, so the way that the second and third term were graded for us, because that's what they set out to do in our school, was that they'll try to comprehend the situation at its best and they've taken extenuating circumstances for everyone basically. Oh nice. And which on one hand 
wasn't really fair, for example, for me, who actually stayed here in my flat, who had all my materials and had done all my work mm. and could have gotten whatever grade possible. Um, but then it would be the same as someone else that had less of accessible materials. Oh, I see what that you makes mean. Sense. Like, it didn't change much in terms of my grade because of... Um, solely the fact that I was still able to access the material that I had within my own flats here whereas people that actually left the country on a hurry and had just one suitcase without any of the materials they needed to do the work kind of got their grades upgraded so at the end right the inflation with the grades didn't really matter in terms of like the work produced yeah and I think that this is something that within fashion school we tend to always forget yes it's nice that to have a nice grade but then at the end of the day it's all up to you and the portfolio that you show because when you go to an interview they don't ask for your grade that's the thing it's like yeah it's exactly that like even before the interview like I feel like they barely yeah. look at your grades. I feel like everything is about the portfolio, which is like, I get it. But then at the mm. same time, all those years in university and you kind of feel like, well, what was the point? Because it's kind of subjective, isn't it? Yeah. Like fashion and anything in the arts is really subjective. So what might be deemed as like, I mean, no one's going to get an A. You have to really be really bad to get an F. But like what could be deemed as like a B or C might just be that it, mm. it wasn't, hitting criteria but just because it's not hitting criteria doesn't mean it's not a good piece of art or not good piece not a good collection you know and that's what the your jobs are looking for yeah exactly so um yeah mental health is directly related to our ability to create sometimes in a positive way sometimes in a negative way so how has the lockdown affected your mental health and has this in turn um affected your creative work i think it has it definitely has i mean um in london i was already dealing with a lot of anxiety and a bit of depression as well um and as it is it was kind of a relief to always be able to create hands-on um being in the lockdown here it kind of had a very negative effect at first where I felt kind of stuck in a bubble of non-productivity and then slowly and slowly you start to realize that actually there's wonders that you can do when you're restricted by outside circumstances and like I think that um, for example the collection that I designed last year in my last term would not have taken shape the way it has if it wasn't for it being designed in the midst of lockdown. Yeah, no, it's true. I feel like um, lockdowns pushed a lot of us to kind of come out of that comfortable bubble we've been in. I think Mm. we're so used to like the routine and like being in an institution to like create. And I think being at home where you're kind of, you're forced to create out of, a minimum and then coming up with something yeah push people so yeah I would agree yeah it's also amazing to be able to like I mean now nowadays it's not just enough to visualize an idea and show it you Mm. kind of have to be able to like sell it through a story sell it through a camera and virtually be able to showcase what you mean by something which is something that I don't think any creative before this was able to comprehend really unless Mm. they were in the digital world. Yeah. And 
I think that's an amazing part where now we use tools and um, use stencils that we've never really had access to before in order for us to do more work within the industry. And I think that, for example, just Zoom meetings and Google Meets will not disappear from our lives anytime soon no. within this industry. Yeah, no, it's true. It is very true because I think as designers, we're so used to um, just purely the design and aesthetic side and like the narrative behind it. But to be able to sell something is a completely different skill, which in fashion school, you're not often yeah. really like it's kind of like one class here or there to talk about marketing and and how you're going to present something in mm. that way. But it's not enough. And I think you're right. This is um, pushing us to kind of see things in that way and forcing us to have to um, sell our products if, if we want to be able to make yeah. a living doing this, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you feel like you've, be, you've had these kind of conversations with other creatives around you? I mean, because I'm not in a university anymore. So I, I, I barely have this conversation with other people of like, how is your mental health and how is it affecting your work? Uh, yeah, I did have this conversation with a lot of people actually, like be- between... And not just fashion designers, to be honest, like I spoke to people uh, studying styling, photography, illustration, um, and it was kind of all the same. And I think that the, it's bad to say that the cool thing about it is that we've all kind of developed somewhat of a coping mechanism Mm. that is now a go-to in order to like deal with mental health when it comes to issues that are bigger than us which again none of us really had that experience before like we've never really lived through a war for us in in order to comprehend what it is to like stay home and you can't do anything and i think that now from now on we i think we're all just a lot more sensitive to the world and we in a way are grateful to that and also know how to protect ourselves from hurting basically yeah no because like I always say like our jobs are like to look at the world and our surroundings and to react to it and to create a visual um a visual rebuttal and present that to the world and I think you're right like especially creatives we kind of have like more of an influx of emotion that's what allows us to be so creative and having so much downtime and so much um so much space we're able to kind of figure out new ways of like of dealing with our emotions and and dealing with them in a really healthy positive way it's how many opportunities will we ever get to have this much like downtime of not being able to do a lot of things but then on the flip side, it can be really hard because like I know it's been so hard to try and find a job in this kind of climate and me not doing anything really feels like me not doing anything. Like I feel like there's nothing that's like moving forward for me and my career to be able to um, progress. And it, it can be quite troubling to like stop for a second and tell yourself like this, this is out of your hands. This has nothing to do with you you can't help this this is a freak situation that no one saw coming and and that's okay like it's okay to not to not have it all figured out especially in situations like this um so with the creative industry depending so much on like networking and collaboration like that is everything in our industry that's how we get our jobs that's how um we create new things 
how do you feel the industry is adjusting to the new rules? Um, I think that from what I see and from the side that I've experienced actually this summer, um, it's adapting in a very interesting way where I feel like that people are more outgoing towards what they want. Mm. Like, it's, it's really strange to say, but I've had collaborations come up through Tinder. Really? And, Do yeah. tell. Do share. <laughs> um, it was uh, someone who I We're talking about with. creative cr- collaborations, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Not um, lifelong we had a collaborations. No, no. We had a full-on uh, photo shoot. Uh, it was a stylist, and we had a photo shoot done at a lake, and, um, like, with a photographer from Vogue Talent and everything. And we basically started talking on Tinder and it was just like, here we are. You want to collaborate? Let's go. So amazing. I think think that something that the fashion industry has definitely gained in a positive way is the spontaneity, whatever that word is. Spontaneity? Spontaneity? I I think so. We'll go with that one spontaneity or being spontaneous yeah that's what we mean (laughs) fashion school Oxford (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah so I think that the fashion industry now is a lot more spontaneous with things and saying that uh, I don't mean that they don't think before they do they just act upon quick opportunities I think that's Wow. The whole collaborating through Tinder, what a new age thing. Like, honestly, like, you're not going to hear that in any other decade, are you? Like, this is such a 2020 situation to have. Like, oh, how did you meet him? Yeah, we collaborated through, like, Tinder. Like, no big, not a big deal. Like, (laughs) um, (laughs) but you're right. Yeah, no, uh, the, the industry is definitely more spontaneous now. And I think it works. Like, I think it makes things more exciting. And knowing that that was created under so much pressure. Like, for example, mm. did you watch the um, the Fenty show? The Savage yes. Fenty? Yes. Oh my God, what a masterpiece. Like, yeah. and the fact that like, she pulled that together. Like, when I watched it, I was literally like speechless. I was like, yeah, this is... I mean, I didn't watch the first show, so I can't like comment on the first one, but the second one, oh my God. I was like, this is the new way to do fashion shows. We no longer have to yeah. congregate around a, a runway and watch like women that don't crack a smile walk down in, in mm. clothes that are like five sizes too small for anyone. You know, like this is the new way. There was different colors. There was different sizes. There was different genders. There was not any gender boundaries. There was, it was everything. And it was just so beautifully done and a, a mixture of art. There was dance, there was music, there was clothing, there was everything. And it was just, it was amazing. I loved every single bit of that. And I thought like, if this is how fashion shows are going to be or how things are going to be presented, I'm for it. Like mm-hmm. I would much rather produce that than send like models down a runway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And I think uh, saying that um, one thing that the fashion industry does best, as much as there's problems with it, one thing that it does best is that it knows how to do a celebration. 
Oh, yeah. And I think that, yeah. <laughs> and I think that within uh, the Fenty show, for example, it was a celebration of a new age. I mean, I think that we're the kind of creatures in fashion who once faced with a problem, we try to see the good in it and the positive in it. Um, and that's what happened with a lot of the shows this year in the spring summer 21. And I think that it's amazing to be able to see that um, brands readapted so well to things. Yeah, I mean, it's like our everyday job is to try and be innovative and try and find like the new new. So it's kind of not surprising that the fashion industry is so easily um, adaptable to this kind of circumstance. Because I think from people looking from the outside in, it can seem like the industry is quite traditional in the sense where it takes mm. almost like a lot of yelling for things to change, like body image and stuff like that. But I think when, it, when we're presented with like such a new age problem like COVID and all the things it presents us with, it makes sense that we're able to adapt because that's literally the job of a designer. It's literally the job of being in fashion is to constantly think of new things and be innovative and things that people haven't thought of. And yeah, that show just, it blew my mind. It literally, because I'm in the middle of like producing a startup and the content mm-hmm. for a startup and how I would like the first um, product to be launched god after i saw that show i was like i need to change everything (laughs) everything needs to be changed like (laughs) i need to like your whole 10-year plan comes down puts up a new one throw it away (laughs) like we don't need it anymore rihanna has come the fashion industry and she is taking it by storm i was like i was like we need to make this more exciting like i think we sometimes like in our industry when you have like the business side come in business is all about like seeing what works and then and using that model mm. because it works. It's going to make us money. And I kind of got stuck in that, yeah. that, that thought process. And I was like, well, I need to make a brand and do techniques that I know are going to work. But that, mm. that's not what this age is about. This age is about finding new, new things that, that will challenge people's thought process and challenge how people buy things and, and look at things. And after seeing that show, I was like, yeah, no, this is not going to do. We have to change this up. <laughs> um yeah yeah. i think i think that um i mean elaborate on what you said that there's a very fine line between um being commercial within the industry and being commercial always sells yeah and um the very fact of being true to yourself i think that um somehow every designer struggles with this where they want the brand to be completely their identity but making a brand very true to yourself doesn't mean that it would sell to everyone out there so i think it's a choice and a balance that needs to be found between the two somehow yeah even like i had to struggle with that because in the very beginning when i sat down and i was like okay so what do i want this brand to look like i even though the brand is based on like me and like how I think and how I would like to be represented through fashion um it was really I was kind of like well we can have those same ideologies but the brand doesn't need to be me and so I really steered away from that and then I think as I progressed I realized well I'm not being authentic if I'm not owning up to the fact that this brand is me it's me and it can represent me 
but it doesn't mean that it can't represent me through a new scope and a new light. And I think that's what I'm kind of learning now is that I don't have to hide the fact that this brand is me. Like I'm the, I'm the designer and all the things based around it are the things that I believe in. However, um, it can be so that it's not just me. It's me. It's what I represent along with so many other people. You know, I think that in many ways, yeah, it's very much that I feel like that we're a generation who isn't basically categorized in any sense or way. Yeah. We don't like to be put in a box. We don't like labels. We refuse. And I think exactly. And I think as designers, it's that almost uniqueness that makes us sell, basically, which is really sad to say, but um the more you're able to identify who you are and how unique you are to yourself, the more your brand becomes likable and relatable. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's exactly that. Actually, the more unique you are, the more likable it is. And I think that's just because I don't know. I think it is a generational thing. Like our generation is really the generation about being rebellious, being, not agreeing for the sake of agreeing we kind of challenge things a lot which can be uh, a great thing and it can be a bad thing as well sometimes but mostly it's positive and I think when there's something new that comes along that in itself is challenging to the industry that it's appeared in and I think that's what attracts people you know people are always looking for exclusivity people are always looking for um, the next new thing and I think that's what what works it's no longer like these big huge brands that have been doing the same thing forever it's like yeah. those small independent indie brands that are like coming along and like destroying the industry yeah and i mean even those big brands that you speak of like they kind of readapted to us like they mm. know that they could make a lot of money through our generation yeah. and that's why like you have now like domain making these um dark and twisted collections with um so much virtuality in them Mm. which appeals to basically our generation Mm. do you think that um so do you think this is going to have an impact on people entering the industry in the next few years um yes but not in the sense of people not finding jobs I think that people getting into the industry will have to broaden their spectrum of what jobs they can get into first. As an example, I think that, for example, not a lot of people that do fashion design will consider trend forecasting jobs. Mm -hmm. But from here on to the next year, trend forecasting is quite a highly demanding Uh, section of the industry who will still hire over designers Mm -hmm. I mean we've always known that there's always a shortage of design jobs within the industry oh yeah and now there's even more of that yeah whereas like other parts of the industry would still hire maybe just a little bit less but they would still hire I think that people should open up a little bit more in terms of yeah okay maybe they can't get a design job straight away Mm. but what else would they be willing to do yeah I think so I was actually talking to um a girl from our course the other day 
Um, and she was saying how she's doing a master's in graphic design so that she can broaden her scope when she's looking for jobs, yeah. which kind of made perfect sense because her illustration work was so great that it's like, yeah, yeah it makes sense that you want to put that on your CV and say, hey, I can do this yeah. too. No, I mean, like, for example, like I myself, I'm considering trying to forecast in jobs and I've had a teacher this year who's been very great with guiding me into like this career path and telling me what I should do, how I should like build a portfolio for that because it's completely different to design and everything. And I think that's sometimes also finding the right people to talk to within the yeah. industry can really help you see what you like. And I think that we shouldn't forget as designers to always be curious about things. And I think that's the main part of it, just to be curious about what skills you want to learn, what skills you can learn through this pandemic. The thing is, I feel like in the fashion industry, there's this like hierarchy and like fashion designer is like at the top of the hierarchy. And so when we, when we have our eyes set on this amazing career as a fashion designer in the industry, it's really, really hard to budge the person of that idea because you're telling them basically step down from the, that top bit of the hierarchy. Like you have to be willing to like do something else. And this hierarchy is completely fabricated. It doesn't, it's not real, but it's just yeah. how it's presented. It's in the same thing when we were in uni, like the highest respected course was women's wear, you know, everything else yeah. came below women's yeah. wear. And yeah. I even I felt this for a long time like when we finished university and I was applying for jobs I was only yeah. applying for design assistant roles and because yeah. I, I didn't want to have to see the think of even the possibility of my life without designing in it because I was like well this is all I've ever imagined this is what I've spent however many years training to do from I was, yeah. when I was a kid this is what I wanted to do and so to think of like giving that up was such a big deal to me until I was yeah. like well I don't have to work for someone else. I can do yeah. designing. It just doesn't mean I, I necessarily have to do it for someone else. And so luckily I've, I'm freelancing anyway. So it means I still get to design. And then I'm also working on my own stuff. So it means I also get to design. But now I'm broadening my scope. But even then, Ismail, it's so hard. Even then, yeah. if, when you're applying to like a buyer's job and it's between a fashion design graduate and a buyer's graduate, yeah. they want the buyer, you know, because they know what they're doing. Yeah. And like, it's, it's just so hard, especially like, I don't know if COVID's making it harder, but even when broadening, broadening the scope, like I'm looking at PR, I'm looking mm. at everything, but it's just, it's so hard. And it's what makes it harder is that you negotiated what you were wanting to do. And even when you negotiated, it still somehow isn't working. I, I know what you mean. I think that it's, it's a very hard thing. Like, as I said, you should be open to new opportunities, but then that does, like not everything and anything can lead you to places, basically. I think that uh, you should always have a plan A, uh -huh. a plan B, and sometimes yeah. even a plan C in terms of like uh, what you want to do with your life. And I think that each one of them plans should be quite well um, thought of. Yeah. Not... I, I think that that's the only way for you to be able to like get around anywhere. And I feel like that also creates less damage in the future for yourself because I mean, who would have ever thought that COVID would hit us so hard? Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't even think it, it would change a lot of things and it has changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And I think that when you do have those different 
career plans already set up for yourself, you can get yourself further. Like you, you fall down, but you bounce back up a lot easier. Yeah, 100%. I think what I have learned throughout all of this is that you can't, you know, like they say, you know that saying, um, trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome is like insanity. Mm. Um, yeah. I like that's literally everything I've been avoiding. Like as soon as something doesn't work, I switch mm. up my portfolio. As soon as that doesn't yeah. work, I switch up my CV. As soon as that doesn't work, I'm adding things. I'm taking away things. Like yeah. there's never been a time where I've been like, oh, well, it would just come along. It's not me. Like I, you have to constantly assume that there's someone out there that has something different to you um, and that you just need to be more versatile. You need to switch things up because if you just try the same thing each time, mm. it might be the case. Because people are still hiring, even though we're in a crazy time and like it might be remote, yeah. people are still hiring and there still are a lot of jobs out there. However, there's just more people than ever applying and you have to be able to constantly have an edge on that other person. Yeah. So, like, are you worried about future job opportunities? I mean, not really. Like, I, I've, I've expanded my scope in terms of uh, the opportunities I'm willing to get. And I expanded my scope in terms of um, where I would be able to get them. And, like, <laughs> five years ago I was saying that I would never go back home whatsoever to Morocco but like now considering what's going on and everything there's chances that I could actually go and get a really good fashion job there as well because there's brands that are starting out to be like quite well known within the industry and that showcase within uh, the couture week oh my and it's god like it's not in Morocco, back in so. Morocco yeah i know that's uh it's crazy talk it sounds like crazy talk but uh... literally do you know it's so funny because you are one of the most like you think a lot about your career in such a good way yeah in terms of if something's not working for you if you're not happy anymore you're not afraid to then completely 360 it do you know what i mean yeah like, remember yeah. when we were in uni there was a time where you were like maybe i don't need to like design you know yeah like maybe i can do something completely different yeah and like that takes balls like that's brave for you to feel like for you to have and the confidence in yourself to be able to do i that. think yeah i think it's that same fire that was back then telling me that maybe i don't need to design is the one that's telling me that it doesn't matter where i am now it doesn't matter what job i get within the industry i could still make it to where i want Maybe it will take a little bit longer again, but I will get there. And I think that's the most important part of it all. Like we creatives sometimes tend to forget where we want to be in the mm. future and get so obsessed about how bad the situation is now that yeah. we just let it completely paralyze us. And I think that COVID has taught me to not let bad things have bad consequences on me. Yeah, it's the process. Like, there's no success without struggle, you know? And I think yeah. we yeah. always, I think we get so scared about it because, well, being a creative, there's going to be struggle. Like, you, I don't think anyone can avoid that. No one ever decides, I'm going to be a creative, and then they get a job like that on this. Or even if they do, somewhere down the line, it gets difficult. It's just the nature of the industry. Yeah. 
and I think that um it because design and art it's such a personal thing to us like we all think yeah. we're the best designers because it's us like we're the ones designing it we think wow my shit is sick like i'm not gonna think it's horrible you know so we all think we're the best designers but then when you're constantly having doors shut in your face you're like well how could you shut the door in my face i'm the best designer in the world you know so it's, <laughs> it, it will constantly play have a toll on you and you're thinking to yourself well my thing which always gets in my head is how can I even make it to that future if no one's giving me a chance now and then that's how I end up getting stuck in that cycle of well it's not happening now it's not happening now how am I going to get there if like no one's giving me this opportunity and sometimes it's about don't wait for other people to give you that opportunity you know no. make the opportunities yourself those are those are the trailblazers yeah. those are the ones that make it far is when you you stop waiting around you make the opportunities for yourself yeah i completely agree i think that um in that same sense like between the two experiences that i've had through university i think that one thing that i've learned uh recently was that um basically your teachers are your best bets in a way mm. and i think that um not i'm not saying that uh um, every creative should um, lick their teacher's boots. But uh, <laughs> like, I think that we need to not forget that they're very experienced people within the industry sometimes. And they're people that have worked within the jobs that we want to have, right. basically. And I think they're the source of advice that can really get you far. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think within school and even after school you shouldn't be afraid to reach out and ask for that advice and ask questions where questions need to be asked yeah no because like they're still employers you know they still can they could potentially give you your first job i think we forget yeah. we when we see them in the in the halls of the university we forget that like they're a whole person outside of this like they work just like we do they have aspirations yeah. and dreams they they've been in these corporations that we look up to yeah um so to not take it for granted it's so true so your your plans for um possibly transitioning into the trend forecasting world in case that's your that's your your plan b what is that yes that would be my plan b so how's that going is it something you're excited for or potentially could be excited for do you know what i'm really excited because um basically the portfolio work that i have to do for that and the research that i have to do with that have nothing to do with fashion oh what is it like <laughs> culture based yeah okay it kind of so like um i mean i've been in contact with a trend forecaster like who's also been teaching me in school and he's been helping me out in terms of the direction that i should be going in terms of building that portfolio and it's basically a research of visual imagery and visual textures things that you make by hand it's almost like a scrapbook nice you're like the story you want to tell and the story that you can see on the catwalks coming in next seasons okay based around and like your everyday exactly okay and basically that itself 
should be completely denied from fashion. Like you, sh you it shouldn't even include any fashion since you're predicting something that hasn't come on the catwalk yet, basically. Right. Yeah. So you shouldn't be able to find it even in fashion. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Interesting. And I think, I think that's the coolest part of it because you're doing, I mean, it's very subjective. It's very abstract as a portfolio to build, okay. but I think that it excites me like the little kid that I used to be doing arts in school where you can just like build this world of imagination of like where you see things developing in the future. And I think that's like, that's also the reason why we all got into designing because we wanted to develop imagination to build stories and tell stories. And I think that um, now I'm discovering that fashion design is not the only way you can do that. Mm, it's so true. You're like, that job is technically like the designer of the designer. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like you're, yeah. you gauge whatever they come up yeah. with. So it's kind of like, what do you want to see? And that doesn't necessarily have yeah. to be through a fashion scope. It can be through a cultural scope. Or, but that's really interesting. So, so take me through it. So you, you, you build up like all this stuff of like, okay, I think this is going to be a trend in this year based on what I'm mm -hmm. seeing around me. And then that will go to like, if you are a trend forecaster, it will go to like a site like WGSN. Um, and then that's it. That's like your trend forecast. Like, so that's. So basically there's two jobs within trend forecasting that you can get. Okay. The first one would be working with an agency like WGSN, A plus A, um, where you work in a general scope to build a trend book. And then with the trend book, that's what designers would buy and uh, use it to develop a collection. Mm. Another job you can get is doing trend forecasting consultancy, where you work specifically with a brand. Okay. And you're basically their like fortune teller. Okay. And guide them to design the right collection to fit into the trends that would be happening next year or the year after so and I how, think that it's quite how do you gauge how on the mark you are though because like for example say if everyone's looking at wgsm but you've been hired by a brand to forecast for their collection how do you they know that what you're telling them is going to be on the money with what everyone's looking at with wgsm it has to do a lot with the training because basically with trend forecasting on one hand everything is a development and an evolution of the catwalks that are already existing. Yeah. So like the next trends coming next year will be a development of what we already have. Okay. I see. But on the other, it's also a training of um, opening your eye to the world around you. Literally. I think that's, for example, we, when we walk around the streets, we don't really pay attention to what people wear, what people do, how do people act and everything. Whereas within trend forecasting, it's spotting those common things and creating a map. Like I've seen the same kind of blazer on three people that I've never seen in a fashion show before. Right. And like making those commonalities in the streets. Cause at the end of the day, like it's almost like the trend forecasters job to like, 
upcycle from the street to the couple. like bubble up theory and trickle down theory. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Does politics affect that as much as we think it does? Is it not a lot or? I think so. Yes. I mean, I feel like every time there's a big political um, agenda, like the election, um, the Brexit when it started happening. Yeah. Um, we see those things in the catwalk. Mm. I think that, like, even now with COVID, we will see that a lot. Not necessarily in this season's, uh, we've already seen it in the season's uh, collections, but we'll see it more and more in the next collections where um, there's, there wouldn't be any more some type of difference between like streetswear, formerwear, and homeware. And a lot of the clothes will just be kind of um, one item fits for all occasions. Mm. And I think like, and in terms of trend forecasting, it's like spotting those kind of consequences, seeing how one thing that happens now will have repercussions within the industry then. That's so interesting. you kind of develop the visual imagery of that. And I think that's cool to do and to um, be part of because you don't just, you don't just design, you just, you predict what will be designed. Yeah, no, that is really exciting. Like I remember I was applying for a job and I was looking at their website to kind of get a better understanding of like what they do. And their latest collection was called Going Out is so 2019. And I was just like, how fucking genius is that? Like how genius is that? Yes, Going Out is so 2019. But I can imagine the people that were working in trend forecasting at that time was probably like they had to think on their feet because we couldn't even predict what was going to happen you know with covid i thought it'd be done by now honestly i wasn't prepared (laughs) to stick around for this long but i I thought it would be long gone and you really have to like they must have had to make timelines after timelines thinking well what if it lasts until 2021 what if it's over Mm. by summer like what what do the collections look like depending on how long this um this whole thing goes on for and like you're right like in a sense where now design must be so different because do you even design for evening wear like where's there to go there's nowhere to go you know yeah so like what does that even look like it's yeah it's quite interesting actually i've never ever ever thought of that but that is really interesting Yeah, and I think, like, as you said, I think that's the most difficult part because nowadays, what customer will trade their blankets for a corset? Yeah, (laughs) it's so true. Literally, I've gotten so used to not bloody wearing makeup and just wearing, like, tracksuit pants (laughs) that, like, wearing, like, the the other day, um, me and my sisters, we watched a Halloween movie and we were like, oh, we're going to dress up, it's Halloween, like, and we dressed up and I felt so uncomfortable and all I was wearing was like some patent leather trousers and I felt so uncomfortable because I haven't been in real clothes for so long and like because I'm a freelancer I work from home anyway like I work in my office I can literally wear wear whatever the hell I want um it's it's true like I'm not prepared to trade in these tracksuits for anything else anytime soon um so what advice would you give to a creative in like their early stages entering uni or even graduating during this time don't do it (laughs) no I think this is the advice that I've always hated 
being given because every time I was given this advice, I was like, no, I'm going to be a designer. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that open your eyes and open your mind. Okay. Because the future is not as simple as you always predict it to be. Okay. I like that. Uh-huh. And I think that, yes, it's great to have a very ambitious plan of being a designer, but having backup plans and crossroads and longer cuts rather than shortcuts to where you want to get isn't a bad idea. Mm. Yeah, it's true. I think they have to be prepared that yeah. things are going to be, uh, it's not going to be a, a straightforward road. It's, there's going to be bumps, mm. like with any journey though, like with any journey, even with or without yeah. COVID, like it's going to be, it's going to be crazy, but this, especially you have to be prepared to negotiate. And that's the thing. I think that first of all, we've always said that a fashion education does not prepare you for the industry. Nope. Never. Second of all, a fashion education does not prepare you for the industry after COVID. A hundred percent. No, it doesn't. And that's the frustrating thing. Honestly, like the fashion education really, really has, it, it doesn't prepare you for the industry whatsoever. It doesn't prepare you. I mean, no one can prepare you for like the doors closing in your face. No one can prepare you for that. No. But even just the experience itself, knowing how the industry is now, and if I was to do university again, just to get myself an edge or just to make a, getting a job easier, I would do so many things different so many things mm. i would probably Same. have commercialized myself a bit more earlier i probably yeah. would have done way more specs <laughs> because now we know that's all they friggin look at yeah um and this by the way is if you're looking for like a job in a commercial setting which most people are because those are the easier jobs to get fashion is already yeah. really hard to find a job in so your best bet is kind of typically if you want to be a designer to look commercially however I reckon if we were the type of designers that were starting our own brands or we were going to be the next Alexandra McQueen's, perhaps university <laughs> trains your brain to be that little bit more creative. But right now, yeah. in terms of like trying to find a job in this commercial world, it, it definitely doesn't prepare you for that. I really agree with you because I think that, for example, you and I had the problem where we've had a really, really strong brand identity from the start. And our tutors have always pushed us to develop it further and further that by the time we actually graduate and want to apply for jobs, we've had a portfolio built in for someone who knew who they were that mm. jobs could not identify to. Uh, and that's 100%. why we're not, we're not getting where we should. You go to a fashion house and they're like, they're looking for an accessories designer. You show them your accessories portfolio and it's got a whole bunch of body pieces in it. And they're like, we, we don't do body pieces. We do bags. Like, I don't know what to do yeah. with this. And then suddenly you're in this situation where it's like, well, I know how to design a bag too. But like, but, you know, university just allowed me to like go crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. it's so true. But then those are the, I, I sometimes have to remind myself that, yes, people are getting jobs far quicker because they have that commercial sense and their identity isn't like, you know, as overbearing and strong, 
But then we have the opportunity to take what we've created and make something completely new and like to not have to be with a brand. We can, well, if we're lucky enough to be able to fund ourselves, um, we can create like our own brands, you know, and be our own people. Sometimes I get worried about like never having like, because I freelanced straight out of uni and sometimes I'm like, am I ever going to be in a fashion house or is it just going to be my own house? Like, and that's a worry. See, that's the thing. I think that you and I have had always our minds on the fact that we wanted to have our own brand someday. Yeah. It's just that the middle part of the plan, that's always been a struggle of like, because we want to have experience first and see how other brands do it and how mm. other houses do it. And I think that's the hardest part is getting through, well, first to that part and through that part before we can actually set on our own. Yeah. And I'm scared that like, that might not be an opportunity, especially now, like we might be hurried to start our own brands because we have no choice. And then we never got to experience what it's like to be a functioning designer in the world, separate to your own identity. You know what I mean? To be versatile and to to fit to other people's brief and that's my only concern sometimes when i go into it and i think about like other people getting jobs quickly and and me not having like Mm. a job in a fashion house or one fashion house that is my concern is like i i may not get that opportunity and although some people may think well why would you want like that opportunity like working in other places gives you so much experience it's literally like being like yeah like you have this whole industry open to you and suddenly you're in the middle of it and you can see how this works and that works and all these different departments that you don't necessarily work in but you have exposure to yeah so that that's my only concern but we'll see i don't know yeah i mean in that sense it's also one of the reasons why it attracted me so much to look into trend forecasting because you actually get to see at you get to look at brands and designers from like a bit of a bell jar, mm. like looking at them from outside a bell jar and like see how they reinterpret your ideas. And in a sense, it's like how they reinterpret your ideas and everything. But uh, you get to see how the mechanics of the idea development happens and how that commercial is commercialized into a collection and then how the whole business works around it. Right. Yeah. So like, you, it's kind of like the small little seed to start everything. And then I think that gives a kind of wider spoke, scope onto the whole thing. Mm. No, it is really interesting. It's reminding me of like, you know, like when you hear in those movies, like in the beginning, there was man. It's like in the beginning, there was Ismail. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I hope, I hope. Uh, Let's see. But yeah, so what's the next steps in terms of COVID? So you're in uni now, you've started your women's wear masters. What do you see for the end of 2020 towards the beginning of 2021? Well, I first see a great Christmas feast. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, um, for 2021, I see myself being able to really develop um, first of all, a personal style within, like, I think I've never really stopped developing my personal style in terms of design and everything. Yeah. And I think that 
come the next few months, I should be able to really sit down and be able to nail um, all the little aspects and all the little details between um, A, my design portfolio and B, my trend forecasting portfolio to be able to actually start supplying for jobs hereafter. Mm. And uh, that being said, I also see myself being able to do a lot of networking, whether virtual or real, yeah. in order to be able to get those connections that we all need in the fashion industry at some yeah. point. Yeah, 100%. It is really all about like who you know in this industry. And yeah, yeah it's, you've got to try and network. It's going to be definitely tough because well there's nowhere to go (laughs) but like sign up for like seminars online seminars and stuff i'm sure you'll be able to to, or even tinder who knows (laughs) tinder works yeah tinder works full circle i mean i've never personally actually have i no i've definitely never networked over tinder i don't think i have (laughs) instagram though instagram's been a really good network instagram yeah yeah about like this like modern age it's like you can really find creatives like in like the the like Instagram's like a whole portfolio for people. Yeah. It is. I think it is. Like I think that it's quite amazing to connect with people that are within the same taste level or within the same aesthetic that you're into just through an app, just through yeah. swiping left or right. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. It's crazy. But it's kind of amazing at the same time. Yeah. So I guess that brings us to the end. If people would like to find you, where can they find you? On Instagram or Tinder. (laughs) (laughs) Or Tinder. (laughs) Or Tinder. (laughs) I really hope, I really hope that someone hears this podcast and then finds you on Tinder and then you guys collaborate. Ah, I'm all for it. Send me your collaborations on Tinder. <laughs> Send but yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, I'll reply with my CV too. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I can I can be followed on Instagram and DM'd on Instagram at LitLaraki. So. Okay, perfect. Thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.